we did have a great time back at Tri-State, and uh, it's been good to work. Um, you know, I actually went gray when I was 16, so oh, just joking, as a result of our, our work there, but um, so... Um, but, um, you know, I wish you would have been with me at Walmart, you know, talking about being a pain, talking about breaking things. Um, you know, on, uh, on Walmart shopping carts, they have that little flap, you know, so they still make them for kids, although I don't really, you know, most of the kids are in the main basket these days or hanging on the front, but, uh, they still make them with the leg day. But, you know, if you ever, uh, just, just heads up, if you ever, uh, are sent on a mission to get, you know, a jar of pizza sauce. And uh, you've got a few other things there. Make sure if you put it in that top section, that flaps up. Otherwise, you will be, like me, in the frozen aisle section. And uh, you'll be going down the frozen aisle section looking for frozen pizza dough and hear this. And uh, look down, and pizza sauce is all over the aisle and it's all over my shoes, and it's on my jeans, and everywhere. And uh, so there was this really nice lady that looked up and said, hey, we've all done that at least once, which, but, you know, as soon as it happened, everybody was like, Whoosh, you know, and uh, put me in uh, handcuffs, and no, they didn't do that, but they cleaned it up. So anyway, I was a real pain that day. Hopefully, I won't be dropping anything today or breaking anything today, uh, but uh, would I like for you to join with me in looking at Acts chapter 8? If you want to turn there or pull that up on, on uh, your tablet or phone, whatever you have with you. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard 2020, so it might be a little bit different than what a uh, little uh, different words, but we back at Mountain View Church of Christ in Winchester on Sunday nights, we have been doing a series on just basic doctrines, basic truths, beliefs that we have to believe, that a person has to believe in order to be saved. And so we've been looking a lot at Acts chapter 18. Now, the reason why we're doing that is that, you know, if the book of Acts is a is a, an account of the growth of the early church, from the establishment of the church in Acts chapter 2 to um, all the way through the book of Acts in three missionary journeys and going all over the known world of that time, the gospel going all over the known world of that time, that we ought to, um, you know, it's safe to assume that whatever was contained in the gospel presentations in the book of Acts is important for us today. So the essentials of what we need to believe and we need to do uh, to be saved should be found in these gospel situations, in these salvation events, in these messages or, or sermons. And so Acts chapter 8 is one of these. And so we have uh, two, basically two human characters. There's Stephen, and uh, then there, or there's Philip, and then there is a, a eunuch traveling back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. And uh, so we're just going to pick, we're going to jump on into this story and read it together. And then we're going to be looking at uh, some of the things that this scripture, there's a lot in this scripture we could talk about. And we've been doing that for four weeks now. But today we're going to look at, and as we read, you can look at what does this verse assume about or teach about who Jesus is. And uh, we're going to see a lot of overlap in the things that we've, that we've already sang together and that we've heard uh, during our communion time. So verse 26, an angel of the Lord, Acts 8, 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. 
So he got ready and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And as he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet, and then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join the chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, He was led like a sheep to slaughter and like a lamb that is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water and the the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered that the chariot stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we find that the eunuch had some prior knowledge. He had some things that he believed already. And these are some essential things that we believe too, just the, just the, the truth that, you know, um, the eunuch asked, Philip a specific question. He was looking for a specific answer. And you know, there are specific answers to our questions, aren't there? There are, there is such a thing as right and there's such a thing as wrong. Uh, there's such a thing as truth and there's such a thing as falsehood. And, uh, we get this today, don't we? There's a lot in the press today about disinformation and, you know, and monitoring tweets and posts and pulling people's accounts down and all of that for false information. Well, that's just the confirmation that if there could be something that's false, there's also something that's true, right? And so even those who would say, well, there's no absolute truth, well, in practice, they act as if there is. And so the fact that there is there was a specific person that Isaiah was writing about that he that the eunuch didn't know who it was, and Philip did, tells us that, that truth isn't essential, but not only that, but he assumed that God exists. He'd been to Jerusalem. He traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God. So he was there at the temple. He was reading a part of God's word. So he not only accepted that the God of the Bible exists, but he also accepted God's word. He, he knew that Isaiah was important, that Isaiah was an inspired writing about God, and he wanted to know, you know who it is that Isaiah was, was speaking about. And this is the way. And so what does Philip do? Well, Philip's ready, isn't he? He's ready to tell him. He knows who it is. He's heard the gospel. He's preached the gospel. He's shared the gospel about Jesus Christ. And so he's ready. And he starts with that very passage. Now, you know, 
We who are here and celebrated the Lord's Supper, we know, don't we, that he could not have had a better passage that he was reading. Because this passage, Isaiah was foretelling the death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, uh, the kingship, the lordship, the messiahship of Jesus. And so he starts with that passage. I don't think it was a mistake he was there. I don't think it was a mistake he had questions. Um, it was God ordained. God set this good work up for Philip to do. He had prepared him. He arranged it. Uh, and, and just like often, we'll find people, won't we? We'll, we'll get connected with people who maybe we have something in common with or have common questions that we have answers to. And uh, so we're ready to give that, that answer. And this is the way that the gospel has been spread, hasn't it? You know, the gospel has been spread from person to person to person to person. And uh, so I just found out that, you know, Jaron L's uh, husband, late husband, was uh, Jerry Timbrook's preacher, right? And then Jerry Timbrook is, uh, you know, and, and uh, he may not claim it, but he's partially responsible, largely responsible for, you know, Bob and I. We, you know, he passed on. He passed on stories. And that shouldn't be any surprise to you, right? So I remember one of my favorite parts of camp. Um, when I got to be like a junior counselor and they let me do that with uh, Bob. And uh, after, you know, if we could get the kids settled down or somebody was really tired or the dorm dad would be in the dorm, we get to go up and uh, we get to go up to the main mess hall to the kitchen. And in the kitchen, the, the cooks would leave some, you know, some good, uh, some extra dessert or something for us. And uh, one of my favorite memories is sitting down there and uh, it was always a joy to have J- Jerry Timbrook and some of the staff there. And I'll forget the stories. And we would laugh our heads off, tell stories. And I remember the one, and I think, I think I'm remembering correctly, you know, the gray hair. Sometimes they get a little confused. But I heard a story about a, a, a two deer taken with one bullet. And that always just stuck out. Stuck out. But that is a true story, isn't it? Yeah, two deer lying up. And, uh, you know, that's efficiency, which, you know, over $2 a, a cartridge today, I mean, that's good hunting. But I'll never, never forget that. But that's the way that it, that it happens, is that Tess and I have the privilege of, um, you know, God uh, just blessed us so much. We, um, my aunt left her house to us right outside of Winchester. And uh, so my daughter and her husband and two, our two grandkids wanted to move into the area. And uh, so we were getting that ready for them. The house across the street, which I knew the people there, had a good friendship with them, relationship with them. That house was coming up for sale. We were able to get a bid in before it went public, got it accepted. And uh, the Lord, you know, helped us to sell our house in Stephen City. We moved, so we're right across the road. And uh, so we get to, you know, Tessa homeschools as well as, you know, does her, her teaching. Um outside of the home as well, so she's doing that, and we get to be with our grandkids, and, you know, we, we taught them, um, I don't know if you remember, um, you know, and uh, when you get as old as I am, you've been in church for a while, maybe you remember songs like, you know, the songs we're singing now, we'll be talking about someday, you know, hey, do you remember those songs we used to sing? Well, uh, isn't he wonderful is one of those, isn't he wonderful, 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 now, you'll never ask me to lead songs now, but you get the song. And uh, so we brought that up to our granddaughter, and she just couldn't get enough of it. And I was like, hey, John, you know, do you know what John 3.16 says? That's my grandson. And he goes, no. I said, well, 
You know, it's that verse that says God, so, and, he, and he just started quoting it. I gave him a little bit of that, and he quotes the rest of it. And see, we, that's how it happens, isn't it? That we pass it on from one. And so, you know, I got that double deer story. I've never shot, I shot two deer within five minutes of each other this year, but not with the same bullet. But, uh, so maybe one day I'll be able to have that opportunity. Um, but, you know, what I got there were verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and John 3, 16, and Romans 8, 28, and 8, 32, and all of these great verses, Philippians 4, 13, you know, all these great verses that I learned and memorized at camp led by Jerry Timbrook. And so that's the way that the gospel goes. And so um, part of what we've been and why, you know, why do we talk about and remind each other of things that, you know, a lot of it we've already heard if you've been in the church for very long. But it's important because we need to remember, um, we need to, to think about, we need to be equipped to be able to share with other people, don't we? And that's what Second Timothy 2, two, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. That's the way disciples are made. That's the way the church is growing here. And I, you know, and, and uh, you know, stories are great. And I love um, hearing from, from Bob just about all the, the exciting things that you're doing and the new people that are coming. And, and, uh, and, you know, I've seen and I know of your faithfulness and the, from the start of this church here to where you are today and uh, in a time when many churches are declining, um, you know, it's just something to even hold your own, but to, to be growing and making plans and developing and, and having things right and worshiping the Lord uh, in the way that you do and you, you did this morning is just fantastic. And the church grows as, and, and what Paul's telling Timothy, hey, the things that I received, I gave to you. You're to pass those on to faithful people who then will be able to teach others. So we hear for ourselves, don't we? But we also hear for other people. We hear for our grandkids, for our kids, for people we've never met before, who we can then share these truths. And so we're just going to look at some simple things about who Jesus is from this passage. And what we're going to see this morning is that just as we have celebrated around the Lord's table, that Jesus is our Savior. Now, the first, um, the first thing we, that we, that, that means for us, or why is our Savior, is He is the Christ. In verse 35, Peter starts with this passage from Isaiah 53, and what does he do? Well, he preaches Christ. He preached Christ. Now, we don't have, do we? We don't, from 35 to 36, we don't have the content of that. But we can assume what it was, based on that passage, Isaiah 53, and based on the eunuch's response. So from Isaiah 53, the eunuch saying, hey, look, there's water, what prohibits me from being baptized, we know that Philip told him the whole gospel story, told him about Jesus' coming, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, his, his uh, death for us on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. He taught him how to become a Christian, how to be saved, how to be forgiven, how to, 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 um, to, to accept the gift that Jesus offers because of who he is, because he is the Savior in the Christ. He taught him how to respond all the way to the point that 
you know, the eunuch's just looking for water. He's like, man, I believe this, and I want to act on it. And so what he didn't know yet, the gospel, Philip shares with him. Now, one of the things that he, that he shared with him, must have shared with him, is that Jesus is the Christ. Now, when we talk about Jesus is the Christ, well, uh, Christ is a, it's a title. Um, and uh, it means both uh, the Hebrew, the English word for the Hebrew word is Messiah, uh, the, the English word for the Greek word, Christos, is Christ, but it was a title, and it means anointing. Anointing like kings. King David was anointed to be a king for a special office. And so when we say that Jesus is Christ, he was the anointed one to come and to do the work of salvation, to accomplish salvation. And so we read uh, about verses. Um, you know, it was, all, it was foretold in the Old Testament that Jesus would come, that a Redeemer would come, uh, that he would be um, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, that his anointed would come and obliterate or, or rule over the nations, Psalm 2.2. And so when we say that Jesus is the Christ, we're, we're confessing that he is the anointed, promised Savior, Redeemer, Messiah, the one who was to come, who was anointed for that work, for that saving work. And he, he's the only one. No one else has been sent. No one else has come. No one could do what he did for us. He is the, the Christ, the Messiah. And so we get verses like 1 Timothy 1.15. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what he came to do. That's what he did. And he's doing today. 1 John 3, 4. Um, we know that this is good news for us because John says that what, what is sin? Well, sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the law of God. And the reason why it's such good news that Jesus is the Christ is because we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, what makes that so troublesome and so horrific is that we know in 6.23 that the wages of that sin is death. The wages of that sin is death. And if we die, if we leave this world or Jesus comes back, while we're still in our sins, while without accepting God's gift of eternal life, then we will die in our sins. And 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, these people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of of the Lord of glory and of power. And so um, there is such a thing as, as hell. Sin makes us guilty. And unless something and unless something is done about that, then there is a punishment for sin. And that's ultimately an eternity in hell, away from anything good, away from God. And it's because we know that God is holy, sin has to be paid for. It has to uh, there has to be a penalty for it. God can't just overlook it and still be just, still be righteous. But the good news is that in the gospel is that God is also love, isn't he? God is love. His holiness, he had to punish sin. His love, he doesn't want to punish his creation. So what did he do? Well, in uh, Romans 3.26, we read that in Christ, God was both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. See, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and, and um, we talked about this during our communion time, we know the blood of bulls, Romans 10.4, or Hebrews 10.4, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. It was just a yearly reminder. And so Jesus came and offered 
Hebrews 9.28, offered once to bear the sin of many. And he was displayed, Romans 3.25, as a, as a propitiation in his blood, as, a, as our substitute. So we read verses like 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, as the Christ, what does he do on the cross? Well, he takes our place. He becomes our super our substitute. He takes the penalty that was due that is due us upon himself so then he can give us his righteousness so he can forgive us. Sin is paid for. But we can be forgiven because Jesus took our place. There's a great exchange there um, that he got on the cross the hell that we deserved so that we could be treated as if we had never sinned like he deserved to be treated. And so we find, I have a habit of going very long, so I set that, so just so you know. So that was not, that was like one of those moments where the jar just fell down, so. Um, okay, so I've, I forgot all about that, but. Um, so he was treated as we deserved. He, was, he became a curse for us so that we could be forgiven. And uh, so he took our, our place, and so when we, when we, uh, when we, say that Jesus is the Christ, that's what we're talking about. So we preach Christ to him. And the very passage that Philip starts with is that passage from Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 12, 4 through 6 specifically. And he just, you know, he talks about that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, a lamb that was silent before its shearers. That, and, and so he's going back and he's, He's, um, Isaiah is grabbing a hold of that Old Testament practice of, of shedding blood, of offering bulls and goats. The writer of Hebrews says that didn't take away sin. It couldn't. But Jesus, because he's both God and both man, he could die and suffer infinitely on our behalf and the behalf of every person that ever lived. And so there he became the lamb that was offered once for all. He didn't open his mouth and humiliation is just... His justice was taken away. He was sinless, yet he was treated like we deserve to be treated, sinners. And who will describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. Now, we also know that not only is Jesus the Christ, he's not only our substitute, but then when he rose from the dead, he rose as a conquering king. He rose as a conquering king. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that when Jesus made purification of sins, what did he do? Well, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, um, on, majesty on high. And so when we confess Jesus as Christ as Savior, we're also confessing uh, that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was, Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And therefore, <clears throat> God you know, made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Um, and it's interesting in Acts 2 and then also in Hebrews 1 that that Old Testament scripture is applied to Jesus. And here we have God the Father speaking to God the Son. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, Jesus appeared. John tells us, 1 John 3, 8, he appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of Satan. Hebrews 2, 14, that on the cross, through his death, he might destroy 
the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through, all, who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And that's what Jesus did. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. And he's reigning on high. And one day he will come back to decimate, to obliterate the last enemy, which still stands, and that's death. You know, death is an enemy, isn't it? It can't separate us from Christ. Um, nothing can. But it can separate us from our loved ones. But one day we read, First Thessalonians 4, you know, that causes grief, doesn't it? And it causes real grief. But we don't grieve, Paul writes, as those who have no hope because we know that those who have died, fallen asleep in Christ, will one day come back with them. And if we're faithful and faithful and holding on to our faith and welcoming, we're ready for Christ, then we're going to be caught up together with them and be with the Lord forever. And that's a reason, that's a reason for hope. That's a reason to, to hold on. And all of that's possible because Jesus rose from the dead, dead because he died for our sins in, in our place. And you know, when we, when we say that Jesus died for our sins, that's what we're confessing, that it was our sins. It was in our place that he died. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 1 through 4, Paul says this, I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, the gospel which I preach to you, which you have also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, <clears throat> which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. And so, brothers and sisters, if, in your own, if you're in the Lord, never let go of your saving faith. Never let go of the Lord. There is nothing more valuable than our salvation. And if we miss that, we've missed everything. And so, if you're not in the Lord today, you need you seriously. Um, that's the most important thing that you can do today. There's nothing more important today that you can do than getting right with the Lord, accepting his forgiveness. And what is that gospel that we believe and then act upon and are saved? Well, he says this, verse 3, I handed down to you that which is of first importance. You talk about important things. Well, this is number one. This is first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. His death, burial, and resurrection, because it's that through that that He accomplished our salvation. And so where does this, um, where do we receive this? You know, what did Philip share with the eunuch that he said, hey, you know, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? And I love, I love the cutout. Because during all of worship, you see blue, right? I was looking at blue, and I was like, man, that's great. Because, you know, Jesus offers us new life. And it's in, in baptism that that promise is received. That's the time and place where God has promised. And so we read verses like Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, where um, Paul just says that it's uh, we're having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Corresponding to that, 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt. You're not taking a bath uh, to get rid of, of, uh, of the dirt that you've picked up through the, through the day, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we know that Christ offers that to us. If you are in Christ, um, hold firmly to the gospel. If you're not, 
then God promises it. When we also believe this, when we come to believe the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we believe that he died on the cross for our sins and that he and he alone can take away our sins and offer us forgiveness, and we trust him as we're immersed into Christ, calling on his name for salvation at that moment, that we know that God is good for his word, that he's faithful and true, and that we're buried with Christ, our old man is put to death, and we're raised to walk in the newness of life, forgiven and covered by blood. Now, I understand uh, tonight that there is, uh, uh, in the sports world, there's something important today, right? So, you know, um, so my brother asked me who, uh, who I was uh, rooting for in the, in, the, uh, in the game tonight, and I said, well, I'll have to Google who's in the game. So I'm just not, you know... So I would rather, I'd rather go to the great outdoor show than spend time, you know, watching sports or at least pro football. But anyway, sorry about that. Hope that wasn't a drop the jar on the floor moment. But, um, so during the, I, I found out and I'm not sure, you know, I haven't had the time or haven't taken the time to really look into all the ins and outs of this, but there is, uh, I'm told or read that there's going to be an ad tonight that they're calling a Jesus ad. Uh, it was a similar one. It's going to be a similar one to, I guess, appeared in the Grammys. And um, in that ad, um, it's going to be an ad about Jesus Christ. And, and the, the uh, ad is a part of a campaign uh, that is just named, He Gets Us. He Gets Us. And uh, in these ads, um, they're about Jesus Christ. Um, it's uh, being funded by uh, the Hobby Lobby, fo- Hobby Lobby founder David Green and a couple of other groups and anonymous, anonymous uh, donors. But here's what, um, here's what they said when they were interviewed about the, the campaign. And again, I don't know, um, you know, the ins and outs, the good or bad, um, but their desire is, their desire is this. He says, we're confident as people clearly understand, read and learn for themselves about who Jesus is, that they'll find wisdom, hope, and peace unlike any other. And see, we have the opportunity with the gospel, don't we? Just like Philip, there's people out there that, that have different levels of understanding. We know the rest of the story, don't we? We know the gospel. And so we can share that with them. And their hope is that people will see that ad and then check out for themselves. And we can pray that God will, if they don't understand, they have incomplete knowledge, that God will place them with somebody who does. You know, a, a good Christian who knows the Bible and will share that with them the truth. But here's the, um, he says, we simply want everyone to understand the authentic Jesus as he's depicted in the Bible, the Jesus of radical forgiveness, compassion, and love. 